2: And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry.
1: And I'm Mary Buzz.
2: And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
1: This week, our guest is Anna Zlokovich, the writer and director of Appendage, which is now streaming on Hulu. Welcome to the show.
0: Yay, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so excited
1: to have you. Ah, thanks for matching my energy, because we both saw, I saw Appendage at South by Southwest this year cool time is fake I was just like wait that was that so long ago and I loved it I was like wait this is so exciting I love how you look at anxiety but I also had seen your short previously too that stars um Rachel Sennett.
0: Yeah,
1: So I would love to hear kind of just about where appendage, like the initial idea came from before the short. And
0: I actually, maybe
1: we should start with, I'm jumping into the interview before like any introduction to your movie. I'm sorry. I got so excited to talk about your movie. (laughs) Can you give our listeners before you answer my question?
2: Well, before you even get to that, let me let me interject something because it was so funny. Because Mary Beth saw this at South by, <laughs> and she was like, "Terry, have you seen this movie?" And I was like, "No, I haven't. I really want to." She's like, "We got to get Anna on the on the podcast." I was like, "Great, let's let's do it." And then fast forward to the Halloween uh, event where we both got to interview you on that. I was like, yeah. I emailed, I mes- messaged uh, Mary Beth right after that. I was like, "Yes, we need to get her on." So we're really excited that you're here. Is basically. <laughs> Hence the chaotic energy.
0: Same. I got so excited when I came on here and saw y'all's faces. I was like, "Yeah, we're back!" Because <laughs> let me tell it's you, so six bad.
2: minutes at a junket—not a oh, lot of time. It's nothing.
0: It's nothing. It's insane. it's insane. I'm like, oh, I thought that was thirty seconds. Why we have to say goodbye? That's crazy.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> okay. So that off the top. Um, <laughs> if our <laughs> listeners haven't seen Appendage yet, can you can you give them a little bit about what it's about?
0: Yeah. So basically, it's about uh, a young fashion designer who, you know, she's in her late 20s. She's really ambitious, and she is struggling with anxiety and depression. And, uh, you know, her dark inner voice just explodes out of her body in the form of a tumor that uh, just tells her she's a piece of shit. <laughs> The whole time. And it uh, it grows off her body and it just keeps growing and, and tries to take over her life. And that's the gist of it. Mood. If you've <laughs> ever
1: had it if you've ever had anxiety, it truly is the most real which sounds so funny, but like it is the most realistic representation I've ever seen of anxiety because anxiety is so ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. I feel like you can only personify anxiety as a little gremlin that bursts out of you and just berates you and it's like it's almost funny but it's also
0: really fucked up yeah. when you yeah. like <laughs> back and you're like wait what was i just thinking yeah that exactly is- like
1: my therapist is like so how do you feel now i'm like oh like i'm crazy but in the moment it felt very real like <laughs> yeah. it's
0: yeah exactly and it's like you know that was actually one of the biggest challenges of the movie was balancing sincerity With the humor and making sure that, you know, when it was funny, it was funny. And when it wasn't, you're like, oh shit, why was I even laughing in the first place? Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I would love to know, like, why the fashion world specifically? I mean, I know the fashion is is like obviously a very stressful. Part of the industry, but I'm curious. Yeah. Like, do you have a direct? Fa- do you have um, experience in the fashion world? Like, why that
0: choice? I do not have experience in the fashion okay. world. I have friends who who work in fashion, which is how I've been exposed oh. to the culture. Um, oh. But when deciding on Hannah's job, I was like, "Ooh, she could be a filmmaker," and then I was like, "Fucking no, no way! <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be a meta film movie." Um, <laughs> Be like a writer, and I was like, okay, how many angles can I get of a computer and of typing? Like, it's so not cinematic. Um, I was like, musician, okay, maybe, but it's like very isolating. You're still doing things on your own, and I was like, okay, fashion is very corporate, or it can be, and it's yeah. a world where you could also try to be an artist and have your voice in there, yeah, and also just be attacked every day by your boss. So it kind of fit all of those things, uh, and cool. it was also very cinematic and visual. Cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Mary Beth, you started off the the interview asking, I'm curious, where did the the conception for this, this idea of the short that would eventually become the the film kind of come from?
0: It came from therapy. You know, I had been in therapy for like 10 years. And I think it was like somewhere in the middle there, my therapist was like, all right, like, let's do an exercise where because I was having a lot of trouble, like separating myself from my thoughts. I was like, I am my thoughts. I am my feelings. Yeah. And she was like, okay, we need to take a step back, like create a character. Like, let's give it a name. Let's like describe it. Um, And it was a very powerful exercise. And it kind of stuck with me narratively to make your anxiety a character. And I was like, that should be a movie one day. And this felt like the right time. Yeah. What was that like to design what anxiety looked like? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, in my therapy session, it was like really scary stuff. I was like, this is like a dark void in the room, et cetera. And I was like, you know, at this point in my life, it's really important to translate the humor of this. So it's relatable. Mm. And so I was like, okay, you know, we're going to have multiple stages. Maybe the last stage is like really scary. Well, let's just have her be cute at first, and kind of like you suck at your job, <laughs> you know. I was like, okay, you know, I looked at a racer head. We looked at Kwatu from Total Recall. I was like, okay, this is oh. feeling right. Let's like try to, you know, use that as a reference, and uh, you know, a lot of it was sketching, three D modeling. We used Mid Journey with uh, this awesome artist named Dougie Pledger for one of the stages. It was like a lot of back and forth, a lot of back and forth.
2: So I, I'm, I'm curious, how much of, of this creature is practical versus like visual computer effects? It's all practical.
0: I would say it's yes. 99% practical. I think we had to replace the mouth because I changed the dialogue in post at one point. But that was, um, but we composited the mouth. So it wasn't like CGI or anything. Right. Um, and that's like maybe for two shots. And then, that's you know, awesome. it's not like there's pup you know there's it's puppetry right so we had to erase it yeah. right um, but the actual creature itself is it, sh- she's 100% real
2: all of them. I have to say, I, like, so we, I got, we've gotten screeners for Chucky, the, the this, this season, the television show. Uh-huh. And a lot of times when they come, they are without like the puppets, the puppetry people removed. They're all wearing like, you know, green screen and they're like moving stuff. And so it's really, it gave me a, like a newfound respect, which I already had, but like more of a respect for the, the art of trying to like mimic the puppetry and then deleting out all of the, the behind the scenes. And that's, I I don't know. I just, so I love hearing that.
0: Yeah. It's like so crazy. And, you know, you have to think about, okay, well I want it to really sell and I want camera movements. We have to track things. We have to make sure that, you know, uh, the puppet tier who is behind the appendage isn't behind the appendage. So we don't have to roto the appendage. I mean, it is like, Oh my God, it took such a, you know, I mean, we had to do everything really fast, but, It probably took the longest to make sure that that wasn't screwed up.
1: (laughs) How long did you have to shoot? How long was the shoot?
0: 20 days. And then we had a monsoon day. So it was 21. Oh, wow.
1: Wow. 20 days for that much practical. That's nuts. It
0: was was really, it was like, it was a lot. I mean, it was a lot to do. Um, Yeah. We only had like two or three takes on set for anything. Pretty much. Holy shit. Yeah. That's
1: so, that's impressive as fuck.
0: It was crazy. And you know, like, I got really lucky the studio let me have all my department heads and the actors that I wanted. And I was like, this is the only way to get done. You know, if I can't talk to the DP, and they're like, wait, how do you want it framed? Like, we're screwed. <laughs> you
1: know, yeah, like, exactly. You're we're like, like, we're going to waste at least a day in total, yeah. like, trying to figure all this stuff out.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that was cool. You know, Powell and I have been working together for 10 years. He can look at me and be like, you want the frame from that project that we did that was up here on the 40? And I'm like, yeah, maybe 30, 35- not nah, the 40. Okay, let's do it. And, you know, it happens in, like, two seconds.
2: So yeah. The shorthand. <laughs> so love cool. it. That's Ugh. so
1: cool. Mm-hmm. cool. So. Wait, wait, you said this was the cast you wanted. So did you write this with like certain with like a feature with certain cast in mind? Or like what was that casting process like? Cause you I love especially Emily Hampshire oh, as our yeah.
0: oh, so iconic
1: good. bisexual villain, queer villain yeah. of my dreams. Anyway. Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you know, originally Rachel Senate was in the short, and so I'd written the script for her, and I think she was like shooting bottoms and was incredibly busy, and Hulu was like We got to keep going. We got to shoot at this time. And I was like, well, shit, let's do it. And so I rewrote the character and left it kind of open-ended. And we just, you know, our casting director started sending lists. And then when I saw Hadley, I was like, wow, like this person is incredible. And, you know, she's Juilliard trained. I was like blown away. Um, And I was like, okay, we only got three takes on set. I need someone who really gets this. And I talked yeah. to Hadley and she was like, I get this movie. <laughs> I know exactly what this movie is. I know, you know, she has to play the whole range of literally everything that's ever been. <laughs> so I was like, this is our person. We actually moved the shoot two weeks earlier to accommodate her schedule. So she could be a part of it. Cause I was so, you know, cool. it's a very tough role to play. And we were like, we getting her in. <laughs> <And then laughs> Emily was, you know, also on the list. First person. I was like, we're offering it to Emily. <laughs> and we were all like, yes. And that was it. I'm so glad that everybody agreed. Because
2: <laughs> you know? yeah. right, it, it's a weird, it's a weird premise, right? So you have to get people that are going to be on board with it to like be able to sell it authentically. And that's I think yeah. that's what impressed me a lot about Emily and Hadley is because there's some silly things that they have to do in this. Right. And, and to be able to do it and make it feel like this is life or death, this is real is um, especially with the time frame of being only 20 days. That's that's a lot to that's a lot to handle
0: hundred percent. You have to be so brave and confident in your abilities to be able to pull off a movie like this as an actor. It's just, it's a lot to ask. And it's bizarro, man. It's a bizarre movie. Yeah. You know, like, I know, believe me, <laughs> 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 like, you know, intentionally. So, um, so, you know, kudos to them for, for really giving it their all.
2: Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh all right, so I am curious cuz this is this straddles the line between horror and comedy um, among other things. Um, are you, are you a fan of of horror comedies or what is your like subgenre of choice for horror?
0: Honestly, I have never done anything really that funny before. I mean, kind of I had a music video that I thought was funny, but <laughs> I don't know if anyone else did. <laughs> but you know, I yeah, I didn't grow up on horror comedy. I love, you know, psychological horror like I'll do okay. you know, Black Swan. Ooh. I love raw um, stuff like that. Raw, I think, is a little funny, but, you know, I did watch it with a bunch of frat rows and they were like, what the fuck
2: is happening?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I'm the only one who thinks is funny. Um, but, no, you know,
2: I, I definitely think it's I'm funny. I'm
0: sorry. But- like, ripping like messing up
1: your sister's like bikini wax and then having her eat your finger is just it's it's funny it's as shit. Yes. It's
0: fucking just, funny. You know, like even you just saying that, I'm like, it's fucking amazing.
1: It's so funny. Like it. Any yeah, it's yeah. hilarious. It's yeah. ridiculous in the best way possible.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's like um, the fuck. Yeah. So you know, horror comedy not my my genre of choice necessarily unless it's through that kind of lens. So okay. it was interesting. Cool. It was an interesting experiment you know my first drafts were really dark and the producers were like we kind of liked how the short was funny and i was like eh, yeah you got a point you got it you, uh, you know what do you
1: mean you don't want it to be bleak come on guys like, come on
0: man bleak week um but uh you know like i said anxiety is so funny and so sad and uh, at the same time and once they gave me that note it like unlocked the whole script and i i wrote it oh really hell yeah it's interesting how that worked.
2: yeah yeah I I I just realized something that I wanted to ask you when we had our six minutes, but we only had six minutes. You have there. Are, I think there's at least two actors in this that are from You're the Worst. Is there is is? Did you like that show, or how how did you get come across like uh, casting um, Brandon and um Des, Desmond? Yeah,
0: through our casting director, and I had totally blindly been like these two. And she was like, "Oh, they're both on. You're the worst." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> that totally tracks." And you know, I'm Great. not you're the worst fan or anything like that. I, I I'm horrible at like watching TV to be totally honest with you. But obviously, there was a vibe there, you know. Mm-hmm. And then- Something that was calling to us.
2: Yeah, I was just curious, because whenever I see, like, people from TV, niche TV shows that not a whole lot of people see, and then you don't typically see more than one of them in a, in a movie. And so I saw both. I was like, I have to ask.
0: <laughs> yeah, I totally. It sh- I wish it was like, yes, I've been.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but no, it was totally just, I think they both had, uh, like, a comedic flair to them and an energy that the movie really needed. Um, and they fit perfectly in there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, so I am curious. How did Anna? How did you get into horror? What was your introduction to the genre?
0: Um, so, <laughs> if you could guess, I have a lot of anxiety, and uh, as a kid, it was worse. And so there was kind of a no horror rule in the house. Um, mm, okay. And, okay. Like, so the first horror film that I remember seeing, I was nine, and my babysitter showed me the Cell, and uh, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> honestly, like in hindsight cannot believe she fucking did that but she was like 15 or whatever and i was like nine and i was she like she
1: probably didn't even know what the fuck it was about either Yeah,
0: i feel like we went to blockbuster and she's like this looks cool j-lo and, like, yeah. and uh i was fucking traumatized couldn't sleep for months i actually haven't i was gonna pick it for to talk about tonight but i actually haven't seen it since then because i'm still traumatized um maybe <laughs> after this y'all i'll watch it again oh my god but uh Follow yeah, up episode. that was my intro that was my intro and then wow. my dad was like you keep waking us up every night three months after watching this movie like no horror in the house <laughs> no more and i was like wow so this whole mysticism grew around horror that kind of made it more scary because i'm like not allowed yeah. to watch it and uh i think i got reintroduced to it when i was doing my thesis project at usc and I watched Eraserhead and that was kind of the reintro to me. Oh. And you know, I had my roommate was like a big horror fan and, and you know, she'd be like, Come watch a horror movie and I'd be like, I don't know, I'm too scared. <laughs> <laughs> now it's like all I do all day is watch horror and still have nightmares. So
2: I well I was gonna ask cause it, it sounded you definitely sounded like you were a little anxious and not and not trusting of horror movies. So they do still scare you today?
0: Uh, in the best way. Like I yeah. you know, in college I discovered, oh, this is cathartic. This mm, is like mm-hmm. how I feel as a person. Like, I feel seen. Like, I feel like a monster, or I feel, you know, super lonely, or I feel whatever. And horror talked about that. The best ones, my favorite ones. And I was like, wow, like, yeah, this is the best.
2: <laughs> it's, it's funny really because
0: is.
1: I, used, I was also a really anxious kid who got really scared, but instead, my, but instead, have my, my parents like my parents tried to ban it and he'd be like no no it'll be fine like you're not gonna be able to sleep and I'm like <laughs> no no it'll be fine and then I would it would happen but then like my dad would show me horror stuff when I wasn't home and when I'd come like because my parents were divorced and I'd come home and my mom would be like god damn it you, <laughs> you give her back and she's scared and that <laughs> went on until I just became numb to being scared but I also liked being scared
0: yeah well yeah, it's cool so- to like have someone you know you trust maybe be like these are cool. Like you, you know, check them out, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Fifteen-year-old babysitter <laughs> who's like <"Yeah.">
2: the <laughs> cell with J.Lo. Yeah. the number the number of times that someone has come on the show and it's been like a, they have a babysitter story it's is, is a babysitter. Uh, there's, a, there's a good number of them so shout out to the babysitters for characterizing
0: babysitter. yeah i feel like there's got to be a movie there <laughs> you know a horror movie i showed my brother house of a thousand corpses
1: when i was babysitting once so <laughs> of course you <she> did <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah. and
1: now both my brothers are in the horror movie so like
0: yeah ugh. see Come you on. On the
1: scene. I planted the seed. I planted the seed. Yeah. So, do you get scared easily now,
0: still, Anna, from horror movies? Um. Let me think about that. Um. Yeah. I think I do. I think I do. If I'm able to unlatch from the filmmaking aspects of it, mm-hmm. about. Okay how they got the shot or like, Oh my God, look at the sequence. I was cut to achieve the scare. Yeah. But yeah, even then when I am thinking about that stuff, I do just, I'm just very sensitive. Like I do get freaked out. I have to say. What
1: was the last movie to
0: freak you out? Do you remember? Ooh, to freak me out. Let me think about that. I feel like, honestly, I rewatched the ring or Verbinski's the ring. Mm-hmm. And I was like, This is kinda fucked up. Like, I feel weird. I went to bed that night and I was like, I don't know. know."
1: There's a reason why that movie haunted me and I never I never saw it until I was in college because I was so scared of it as a kid. Like I just I knew I watched too many of the trailers and knew too much about it and I was like, I don't want to watch it.
0: Like that it haunted me. And it's still fucking scary. It slaps. That movie slaps. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it.
2: it
0: Like and then I also recently rewatched The Exorcist, which when I was a kid, for whatever fucking reason Kid, you know, early 20s, did not scare me. Watched it six months ago, couldn't sleep for a week. Oh (laughs) my god! What happened? I think it just hit me. I was like, oh my god, this child is like, you know, being perverted by this evil force, and it's like the scene where she fucking stabs herself with the cross. Yeah. Yo, like that is crazy. It's fucked up. <laughs> like if you, feel, it's like the
1: more you think about that movie, the more you're like, wait, this is a really fucked up movie. Like regardless of if you're religious or not, like this is just like I shouldn't watch it. It it, it yeah. does have that cursed vibe to it. It does. Yeah, it Terry does. doesn't like The Exorcist. Um,
2: but and we got a pot. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like, I gotta know, I gotta know, a little bit I little just,
2: bit. I don't know you know, it was one of those movies that I did not see until the the special edition came out, like in early 2000s when they re-released it, the version you've never seen, or whatever it was called mm-hmm. they released it in the movie theaters, and so I was like I don't know, 20-something, early 20s maybe, when I saw it, and I was like eh, I don't I don't, I don't get it, like yeah. there's some fucked up things in it, but like I just didn't get it, and I've tried revisiting it and I just, I don't know, it's just, it it doesn't do you it know, for me.
0: It might have to be the right time in life. Like I felt like you until six months ago. It was like my fourth wife. Right. <laughs> Did you were you
1: raised religious at all, Anna? No, I was okay. Not. neither there was Terry. Yeah, I knew there was Terry. Yeah, I was, was I was me, raised man. Catholic, so it scared the shit out of me when I
0: right. I also
1: <laughs> saw it when I was like thirteen. So like I was like thirteen. I was raised Catholic. My dad was really scared of demons and talked about them all the time, which is like probably a mental illness thing. But like I was convinced. I was going to get possessed by a demon at some point. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it was a very real fear.
0: Yeah. That I can't imagine growing up religious and watching that movie, to be honest. Like, I think stuff that scares me about it is like the fact that medicine can't find the solution and all those medical scenes where they're like, you know, tapping her spine or whatever. I I actually don't know what the procedures are, but that stuff really freaks me out and uh, that they made it feel so real. You know? Yeah.
2: You know, because like, so the last time that I I did revisit the movie was when we had, um, I believe it was John Leonetti on the podcast. He's the, he's like a cinematographer and filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we had him on and he had a great story about The Exorcist and that was the last time I revisited it. And I have to say the parts you're talking about, the science parts, the part about like the mom not knowing how to take care of her kid and her kid is going through something really earth shatteringly horrible and not being able to do anything for it did Mm. get me a lot more than when I was a kid. I I just think the – I don't know. The supernatural – stuff just for me doesn't doesn't work as well but that part right there i will say this last watch made me more of a of a fan than i was probably so maybe in six months maybe i'll just be like <laughs> scariest movie ever
0: <laughs> you have to report back and be like, okay i can't sleep
1: <laughs> i can't wait for your transformation terry <laughs> <laughs> wow um okay so anna we have talked about appendage and your horror history but what movie did you bring with you today for us (laughs) to discuss you've hinted at it a little bit but uh
0: uh, I brought a racerhead.
1: Oh, oh yeah. my goodness! So, uh, for those of you unfamiliar with the Racerhead, in the film directed by David Lynch, Henry Spencer tries to survive his industrial environment, his angry girlfriend, and the unbearable screams of his newly born mutant child.
2: <laughs> Thanks, IMDb. What a uh, what a synopsis that Someone says really everything that. but <laughs> nothing, kind of at the same time. But <laughs> yeah. I'm. I am curious, Ana. I want to know why this was your pick. Tell, Give us your horror story. You want to know how you saw it, why you saw it. What yep. about it terrified you? We want your horror story.
0: All right. I was 18 in college with my roommate, who who is like a horror buff. And I think she, yeah, she hadn't seen it. And she was like, I've been wanting to watch this for forever. Let's like go to my dorm room and watch it. It's gonna be great. And I was like, sick. And then we like made <laughs> some popcorn. we were like horror movie. And it started, and I was like about to eat some popcorn, and I was like, oh. Like, so this deeply unsettling feeling just sunk in from like the first frame. Like, the sound design.
1: Oh, like when the giant sperm comes out of his mouth? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and he's like, oh. And I was oh. Like, I'm gonna put the popcorn down, because I feel it. <laughs> um, I just like the rest of the movie, I was like, I have never felt like so alone, you know, like the feeling Mm. of isolation that comes across in that movie at the time when I was 18. I didn't see any humor. I just saw loneliness and inability to like move through life in like the saddest, scariest way possible. No intimacy, not, you know, understanding how to interact with something that you created but question mark you know that's the the level of isolation is like is this even my baby you know it's like something about that really really freaked me out um and uh yeah i it also while it freaked me out in a deeply disturbing way it also showed me what movies could be in a way that I hadn't known before. I'm like, oh, I don't have to follow this structure. Like for my thesis, I'm just going to go fucking ham. Like, fuck this shit. You know, so it definitely. Flying
1: sperms, up. radiator
2: babies.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Fuck it.
2: Yeah. Fuck um, it. So, so I, I have to know because um, I, I just, I, I've only seen this movie twice now and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but, for for you you said you were gonna starting popcorn you're like okay i'm gonna put this down what was the rest of the like what 100 or like hour and 20 minutes for you what was that like
0: uh deeply unsettling yeah Uh,
2: um
0: you know i have a different experience watching it now but at the time i had a hard time following the narrative and i just like let it wash over me and uh Mm -hmm. just you know pure cinema like sound meets Mm. you know visual and like what is that saying to me with music and performance and I was just like kind of frozen and my roommate was like oh oh (laughs) I was like yeah dude this is fucking I mean you know when the oh my god that so uh, I like cry thinking about this when he goes to Mary's house to visit her parents and there's that they're like sitting there so awkwardly on the couch and like no one likes each other. And it's horrible. And then the dad is like, Will you cut the freaking chicken. And he's like, yeah, of course, I'll cut the chicken. And he cuts the chicken and it's fucking moving around and spilling blood. And, and the it's mom, literally
1: the most incredible like encapsulation of meeting your in-laws for the first time. And, and the like horror. Yes. the horror. It's incredible. Like it's such a domestic movie if you look past every surreal which is hard because it's yes. so surreal but it yeah. really is such a fascinating look at domesticity and like rage in that space
0: yes a hundred percent and like it you know it taps into some real shit like you know the mom yeah. looks at henry and is like do you have sex with my daughter and it's like so <laughs> like even just saying that i'm like i'm uncomfortable
2: mm-hmm. and, like, so direct. it's just like
0: it's on him
2: She does.
0: And then the daughter is like, (laughs) mom. I'm like, yo, like, it's wild. Was this your first day for Lynch movie, Anna? It was. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I think followed by Mulholland Drive after that.
2: Okay. I was
0: like, I'm in. I'm in. And have you watched Twin Peaks? I've watched Twin Peaks. The season, season one. Okay. So I never like really got hooked. I'm not like a big, like, I love the music. I love the show. And I think I I, I just kind of dropped off because I like I said before TV and me we yeah. don't get along for some reason. <laughs>
1: I well, and I'll talk about this later, but there's some interesting like kind of connections with Eraserhead and Twin Peaks. Ooh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, um, we gotta. I want. Yeah, know. we'll get
1: we'll get there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm a I'm a David Lynch freak. But this was not the first one I saw, which was. I had heard about it, but my first was Twin Peaks. Actually, like I got really into Twin Peaks with my now husband in college, and then I fell down. And I really liked Blue Velvet. That was my. It was like that
0: and Blue
2: Velvet. Blue Velvet is so good.
0: Well, Um, Blue Velvet we actually shot was shot where we shot Appendage, and so our production office was her apartment building. No shit.
2: That's cool. That's wild. That's
0: uh, that's a cool fact. (laughs) Wow.
1: Like, Blue Velvet is one of his, like, most realistic movies, but it's also, I think, one of his scariest because the violence is so, like, so visceral in that movie. Yes. And I finally saw this, and it was after I had watched season three of Twin Peaks, which is The Return, which is, like, the Showtime one that is just, like, Mm. absolute, like, what? And then I saw this, and I was like, everything makes sense now. Like, it all came full circle because Eraserhead... Is basically Twin Peaks the re- in the Twin Peaks the Return universe, and that's like not super yeah. confirmed, but like the vibes are very similar. Yeah.
0: So, I trust you. yes, I believe it. That's fact to me now.
2: <laughs> it's canon. Yeah. So what's what's in, what's interesting to me is um I have never okay aside from. One movie, I had never seen a David Lynch film. I saw Dune when I was a kid because my mom loved Dune. And so we had sat down and we had watched Dune. And so for me, for the longest time, that was the only David Lynch thing I'd ever seen. And I had done, I'm doing this podcast with one of my writing friends, Joe Lipset of the Horror Queers. And we're doing this thing where we're going through David Lynch and David Cronenberg's filmography because I'm not as familiar with either of them. Less so David Lynch than Cronenberg. So we're watching this, and this was the, the one of the very first movies because we were doing it chronologically. And so this was my second experience with David Lynch. And the first time watching it was like maybe a year ago, year and a half ago at this point. And I this movie, I've seen it twice now because I, I watched it to prep for this. And this movie gives me like resting gross face. Like I'm just sitting here like. <laughs>
1: yes it's dirty it feels for the so entire dirty. film
0: yes his room has dirt in it y'all and then yeah. you know, I mean, it just it's so representative of how he sees himself as like a repulsive person or like you feel repulsion resting gross face
2: as you said i mean the only art he has on his on his wall is a picture of a nuclear bomb exploding like that is the art that is like what he is choosing to place on his wall
1: I fucking love David Lynch. He just is like as subtle as a sledgehammer. Sometimes I swear to God, this man (laughs) makes both the most obtuse art house shit, and then drops a picture of an atomic bomb and is like, "This is a post apocalyptic landscape." And it's like I love how he is both so obvious and so obtuse at the same time with his work. It's quite impressive about with him as a filmmaker, like the way he is able to balance these things. It is incredible
0: yeah it's very very special um he's a one-of-a-kind i just he love really his is. weird
1: little fucked up brain i just want to like give it a little kiss and be like tell me all your secrets
0: you weird oh. man <laughs> also, like he's just you know persona in general like i just saw uh somebody like reposted a meme of him uh doing laura Dern's. and like, he like hired a cow and like sat on the court yes corner. for your
1: consideration yeah. for inland empire <laughs>
0: And I was like, what a badass.
1: (laughs) Well, I... I've recently learned this, and I, can we talk a little bit about the eraser? Should we want to talk about the eraserhead baby now, or do we want to talk some more about what leads up to eraserhead baby, Terry, before we get into actual baby?
2: <laughs> I mean, that's a loaded question. I don't know how to answer that.
1: That's fair. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, because I've learned a lot of facts about the eraserhead baby recently, and I just love this baby, okay. and now learned the mysterious origins of the baby. So I'm just very excited to talk about this icon of cinema. Yes, us let's, let's do it. Let's do it. So as what a lot of people probably know about Racerhead is about this baby and this baby that is like a little weird head and a body wrapped in a weird blanket that just like yells all the time. And he is the, the baby of, a, of our man, Racerhead. And I was telling offline how there have been memes about a Racerhead baby being trans in my very niche part of my film studies, gender studies corner of the internet. It's very incredible. But also, this baby and how they created the baby, uh, no one actually knows how David Lynch did it. So the projectionist who worked on the dailies of the film was blindfolded to avoid revealing the prop. And Lynch will not tell anyone how it happened. Like, he says things like maybe it was found, maybe it was born nearby. But the whole thing, similar to the appendage, is all practical. Like, it has moving parts in it, but no one knows exactly how it was accomplished and how this baby was came to be. Wow. Lynch, I, I would love for this to actually be a real weird baby that Lynch found. I know that that is not true at all, but really... <laughs> Like, I love his dedication to the bit of like, I found it,
0: yeah, yeah. well, he you know, spoiler alert murders it in the end. yeah, so he does, he stab yeah,
1: he does he but, you know, that is
0: stab.
2: Stab. the most upsetting part of the movie for me. I just
0: he cuts open the blanket, mm-hmm. like you're waiting for that the entire movie, like, what's under there?
2: Like, let me see what right.
0: can... and then it just is blanket with organs
2: inside <laughs> with organs that's inside. the best part.
0: Like, oh
2: yeah, resting growth face. Seriously, that face. is, and that is. I was sitting there, and I realized my face was hurting this time watching it because, again, I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen because I'd seen it before, and yet I'm just sitting here, just this is making me so uncomfortable that by the end of the movie I had to like massage my face because it was hurting so bad. Totally.
1: I have. A, I actually have. A even deeper appreciation for this movie now. I am not a parent, but after having a lot of my friends become parents and like helping with kids, again, I'm not saying I I understand it fully, but like this is a very good portrayal of like hella like hellacious postpartum and like seeing a man taking care of a baby postpartum. And yeah. not saying it's like a feminist masterpiece, but like it's interesting to see like a father struggling with what it means to like have a baby and have a kid and be a dad. And again, it's like a very fascinating, simple story that is made incredibly fucked up and surreal. And I love that David Lynch is able to do that with his work, like take these very like human stories and make them feel so foreign.
0: Yes. And it's like quite amazing and powerful. And you know, like watching it as a doll, I'm like, Oh, he like, is socially awkward and has anxiety and doesn't know how to talk to his girlfriend's parents. And like, you know, I'm like kind of laughing this time watching it. I watched it like last year and I was like, oh, like I get it, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah, and it's like, you feel so bad for him. And you're like, I "I get it. And you're just trying to navigate a hellscape that you're just trying to make it through the day. And then all of a sudden you have to be a caretaker. And what the fuck does that mean? I can barely take care of myself. Like it's just-
0: exactly and there's Ooh. a horror to that. it's totally horrifying and people do it all the time somehow in real I, I don't i don't know no idea like
1: when the baby gasps it gas and has all of a sudden boils all over its face like i how how like that how do you deal with that as a parent
0: like, yeah yeah ugh. no idea and you know parenting is full of body horror you know you're cleaning up poop you clean up pee you got rashes. You got all sorts of things going on. You
1: got all weird sorts of shit coming out of babies at all times, and like yeah. the there's so much body horror in this around the baby, and like it's hard because like is it body horror if it's not purely a human baby, right. but it's still <laughs> really scary and wet and gross and like horrific because like it is a baby, so I feel bad. It's and it, 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 and I think Lynch is playing with your like. It's not really acute it's not really acute and doesn't look like a baby. So do you feel bad when these things happen? And it's like, Right. Whoa, dehumanizing the baby, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) dehumanizing the baby, exactly. And it's like scary because it's true. Like sometimes, you know, when I was born, my mom was like, Oh, like in a loving way. She was like, I was like, I didn't realize like you there was another person there, like a foreign. Yeah, I mean, but I hear that from people all the time.
1: Like, oh wait, you're a real like that's a real like person that I'm in charge of. Like, what the fuck?
0: Like,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, and like trying to capture that feeling in a film, in my mind, is a race. You know?
2: Yeah. So, I mean this this movie is inscrutable. Like it is. Imp- I think it is unless you live. <laughs> no, it's obvious. David the fuck, Terry?
0: Come on.
1: <laughs>
2: Unless you live in David Lynch's head, I don't think anyone can completely understand. However, when I was doing research, trying to understand when I was trying to figure this movie (laughs) out, when I was originally covering it on the uh, the, the other podcast with Joe Lipset, I was sitting there going, what is happening in this movie? I don't understand. And I did find um, some things that kind of point to like what we're kind of talking about, like fear of being a parent. And because at this time Lynch was like, I think a couple of years before this movie came out, he did go through a divorce. Mm -hmm. His daughter was on set a lot of times for this. And there was this um, Mm -hmm. article on, from the independent that was about Jennifer Lynch, his daughter who went on to make boxing. um, Helena among other things was talking about how, she was on the set and she said, it didn't give me nightmares, but I said, dad, this is definitely not a movie for kids. And then the article goes on to say, while that's putting it mildly, you might have to wonder what she made of the story of a man who fathers a mutant baby. After all, Lynch, Jennifer, an unplanned child, was born with club feet. As an infant, she was placed in a cast oh. from the waist down. Unable to crawl, she would pull herself along, encumbered by a metal bar between her ankles. She eventually went underwent surgery at age four and wore orthopedic shoes until she was 12. She says that... In life in the Lynch house was, well, Lynchian. She recalls making her mother a birthday present by piling mud on the dining room table. We packed it tight and dug little holes and made little clay figures with long arms and stuck them in the openings. And the thing stayed there for years. We ate somewhere else. My mom came home and was like, Shut I love it. Shut the fuck up. And that was normal to me. It never occurred to me that people weren't doing this for each other. And so, like, That's seeing the that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seeing that, that and then oh seeing this God. movie where... Uh, the man is dealing with this woman his, his, his girlfriend, I don't think they're even married at this at any time Mm -hmm. in this movie. And then they end up, you know, she sort of leaves and leaves him alone to carry for this thing that obviously needs a lot of help. And Mm -hmm. so I I see that and I see this story about Jennifer and I'm like, there's a lot of anxiety here about being a father and trying to raise a kid. Yeah. That's wild. That's great research right there. That's I just, I, I literally went down rabbit holes. And I'm like, I don't understand this at all. What am I watching?
0: Yeah. I mean, that explains a lot, you know, I don't know if he, you know, anyone would ever admit to that, but I feel like it yeah, really, of course not. Right? Like, and you know, I don't know. It's very, it's, it's, it's scary. <laughs> it's
2: scary. Yeah.
0: I was just even thinking about while all that is going on, there's like a sexy apartment lady. who's like There a sure
2: closet.
0: is. There sure is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, like behind uh, the radiator you know yeah
0: well, yeah. Her, her t- I was like the radiator lady do you oh, have yeah, any right. ideas on what you think the woman in the radiator is
2: no fucking clue this um, one my notes for this movie were a lot of question marks like this is happening question mark <laughs> and this is happening <laughs> I was like
0: what if it's like his mom Henry's mom and it's like all the sperm is falling and which one is he gonna be you know and I'm and like she's just
2: that sidestepping that- them <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, what's wrong there? Sometimes <laughs> you gotta.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> With the chipmunk cheeks, like, just it's oh, it's so bizarre. It's so disturbing. In the and that's part.
1: one of the parts of it where I'm like, hmm, I don't. The metaphor loses me at that. In that. In the back yeah. half, the me- the metaphor does kind of like because part of me is like, is it desire? And is he like right. finding like finding desire in strange places? And. Right like what or is it just David Lynch being like there's a little lady behind the radiator singing a song because like, of course. it's 50 50 with him honestly yeah. about like what does she mean or is it just a funny little creepy thing that goes on in this world that is just yeah. like inscrutable because again like this is a the predecessor to Twin Peaks, and a lot of stuff he did in this movie he used in Twin Peaks, especially the recording voices backwards and then playing them forwards again as a way to get that really bizarre speech in the Black Lodge or the the Red Room, like where the small the. um that man is dancing
0: mm-hmm. and a lot.
1: And like, especially with her, like the radiator woman with her cheeks, like that has a lot of vibes of the black lodge and like that kind mm-hmm. of setting, especially. Yeah. And again, it's, it's black and white. You don't have that as much, but you see like that pattern that um the zigzag pattern repeated a lot. You see like the curtains behind her and just like the weird music and the surrealness of it all. It's, yeah. it's like, you can, it's like, you can see Lynch playing in these really interesting worlds. And like, I love when he gets like this, and I wish there was more. Like, he did a lot of this in season three of Twin Peaks, and I want more of this kind of stuff. It's really cool.
0: Well, you know, I, I feel like it might also be tied to his fine arts background, too, and it's like... Oh, yeah. Like, aesthetic stuff for just the sake of us, something aesthetic is valid, you know, also. Oh,
1: yeah. And right. Because I mean, he does that... He had, like, a couple, like, rabbit... Was it... The Rabbits was, like, his short films he made yeah. that were just, like, surreal art housey stuff. Because I feel like that, again, this is kind of, like art house aesthetic stuff and also fatherhood things and it's just interesting yeah. to see how he balances that in a lot of his work and like when he decides to swing one way or the other and it's really interesting with his work like what yeah. he chooses and when he chooses like did you watch his short on netflix where he talks to the monkey who is married to the chicken what? What? all right hold on uh yeah hold on what's it called what did Jack do? I mean what does And that? uh essentially David Lynch is interrogating a capuchin monkey named Jack who's married to a chicken. Oh and it's like 20 minutes of him just like interrogating a chick uh, a, a monkey who yells at him.
0: Oh my gosh. These stills are amazing.
1: Like it's you know
2: Wow
0: Yeah. Oh. That is so. I'm gonna. I mean, hopefully that's still available because I know it what I'm is. For this.
1: It is. It's
2: very strange. I'm gonna, but to go. it? I'm gonna have to go. watch that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's got a racing head vibes.
0: Yeah, I could even just looking at the the stills. I'm like, yep, we're back. That is so wild.
2: What's been interesting to me going through um, his filmography chronologically, so like I'm caught up to um season 2 of twin peaks in his in his filmography but going through that um for the other for the other podcast what i what i do find really interesting with this movie is it sort of sets out like a thesis for what he likes to to explore because we have mm-hmm. we have this post-industrial like feel here it's like post-capitalism everything is falling it's post-apocalyptic like the vibe, the idea of living in a in a industrial wasteland, is something that sort of pops up a little bit. We see that in um, in Blue Velvet. We've seen it in Racer, or not Eraserhead. We've seen it in Elephant Man. It's like the idea of the industrial kind of creeping into Twin Peaks. We see a couple times. So we see that sort of here at, in the start of his career. Um, and then the idea of like normalcy hiding something dark and deeply disturbing underneath. So mm-hmm. like the the scene the scene that like, I really appreciate on, on this rewatch was the scene we talked a little bit about a little bit earlier where he goes over to, to meet his in-laws sort of, and they're going through like the air of domesticity here. Right. So we have like, we're going to cook these chickens. And the, the dad is like, they're man made, but they're new. And it's sort of like that excitement over something new. And mm-hmm. the mom is in the back and she's preparing the salad. And then she goes over to, to her catatonic uh, mother, I'm assuming. And, grabs her hands and makes her go through the motions of of tossing the salad. And so it's like this idea of like, everything is fucked. This world is destroyed. but We're going to keep going through the motions, even though what we're doing is pointless and horrible.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, more, more relatable than ever. Right. (laughs) That's an amazing analysis though. Like that, you know, amidst all the themes of parenthood, you have that as like a foundation, which is wild that he's able to weave all those things together. Yeah. And even through Inland Empire, I feel like that's, you know, it's all kind of bubbling there. I still
1: yeah. need to see Inland Empire. I saw it a while ago and
0: it's, 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 it's a tough one to, to get through. It's like
1: <laughs> three hours, right? Of Laura Dern having a mental breakdown, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you get some coffee, you know? I mean, I, I appreciate everything that he does, but that one was tough,
2: tough for me. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Again,
1: I appreciate Lynch for what he does, but sometimes he could, like, I love Twin Peaks, but there are parts like Terry. You're in season two of Twin Peaks. There's going to be some parts where you're like, "What is?
2: <laughs> oh, are you there? Right? Okay. It's, it's weird. It's, it
1: becomes a very long soap opera for a while, and it's just like, yeah. "What? Yeah, it's it's rough. It's a it's a little bit of a slog
0: there for a bit. I want to ask just to go back about um, the meme, the gender studies meme, and the trans- oh, the trans
1: the so it's basically that- someone you know that like the meme like almost like the the uh so there's a there is an interview with um here actually i'm gonna send it in our chat um so you guys can observe what i'm observing but basically david Lynch is in an interview and he says believe it or not Eraserhead head is something and then they say elaborate on that and he goes no and so someone oh. edited to say believe it or not eraser head baby is trans and a lot read on that no and then people like made something. It's like very niche, but then there's like wow. niche. There's uh people just designing the the baby to say trans rights. Uh there's a couple gifts of it.
0: How do I oh, know wow. this?
1: I yeah. yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. There's an Instagram yeah. chip of it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> what That's
2: Instagram amazing your
0: head baby is trans. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Wow. That made my day.
2: <laughs> Mike too.
0: Yeah. So it's
1: just a, you know, a fun, a fun little thing where the internet just goes down into a meme rabbit hole so deep that if someone sees that, they're like, I don't get it. And you're like, I don't, the levels of irony I have to explain to you to like make or have this make any semblance of sense. We're you're too far gone as a society for me to be able to explain like the different levels of this ridiculous
0: image. <laughs> when I see it, I'm like, this is why the internet's cool you know exactly
1: yes. oh i love it it's like the, the niche and like my then my friend and i would send each other like uh trans rights uh eraser head baby memes just like we're just like to each other during grad school it was the most film studies grad school thing ever do you know what i mean it's so funny like it's such it's such a stereotype and i love it so much We're like, we're so smart and distinguished reading about gender studies. Meanwhile, sending each other trans eraser head baby memes. Like when we're supposed to be reading, doing readings and writing essays and being academics. We're like, LOL, but what about the memes instead? That's what grad school is. Um. Amazing. That sounds amazing.
2: Amazing. (laughs) Amazing.
1: Uh, Anyway. (laughs) I don't know how to segue from that. There's no way. There's there's no way. I'm so sorry.
2: There's no way to segue from that. But I I do want to talk about the sound design in this because it's something that immediately grabbed my attention the first time I watched this. And this last time, it just like sunk into me even more. Because here's the thing. Even though I'd never seen other than Dune, which doesn't really count as a David Lynch film. Even though i had never seen a David Lynch (laughs) film. Except... (laughs) Easy, easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <It> breaks. <laughs> are, are,
1: are, are we fighting? Are <laughs> we Just kidding. It's it's nonsense. It's hot nonsense. <laughs>
2: it is. I don't get me wrong. I actually really enjoy that movie, even though I think it's a little it makes, it's, no uh, it makes, no it makes no sense. Makes it makes no sense. But
0: I, I, that's I haven't seen that one.
2: It somehow it's, feels longer than the Villanueva Doom movie that is only part one. Of Dune. Really, he puts
1: that he put tries to put everything in one movie, and because Dune is such an inscrutable thing in the first place, he just puts all of this lore into a movie where you're like, I, you are. It feels. I was watching it sober, and I was like, I, Am I drunk? Are they speaking a different language? Like it, yeah. it feels like they are not speaking English because it's so. Oh. Much lore that is not explained. And you're just like, all right, that's fine. Like, I'm just going to vibe here. There's no
2: time. (laughs) There's no 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 time time to
1: explain. Just the no. weird nipple, the weird nipple suit from Kyle McLaughlin where his nipples are out, but everything else
2: is covered. There you what? go. Oh, hold on, let me find this. Too.
0: Okay. <laughs> let's, let's get a little view of that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but which, by the way, he is—he was a very handsome man in, in the in the eighties, like between Dune and He's Blue Velvet. Still handsome. yes, he really is. He's become more d- distinguished, but like he was—he was a little Son cutie the back then. But okay, so but. but my, my point, though, before I got sidetracked with Dune, is that even though I had never seen a Lynch film, I was aware of him because I'm a huge fan of Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. Oh, yes. And he is also a huge fan of Lynch. They mm-hmm. have actually, you know, cooperated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's his his Let's mesh. See Let's see it. I'm telling you, that is like... Sorry, oh,
1: wow. nipple panels. I forgot. They were the nipple mesh panels. Oh, I like apologize. The even, like
2: they
0: drop down. There's like... It seems like there's like little like curtains.
2: Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's modesty, got, it's right? If you want to be modest it's like or not. <laughs> <laughs> is this a tits out party or not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can be both. I'm ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm ready for the gay club and I'm ready for high fashion. What can I say? <laughs> um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that like as I like I said, I love Trent Reznor and David Lynch was very influential on Trent Reznor's idea of sound. Mm-hmm. And I did find um, an interview where they were talking with Trent and I have a clip of it. Hopefully it'll play in here of, of him talking about sound design and in particular talking about eraser head with sound design as being influential to what he wants to do with, with his, his sounds. And so oh. here it is. Hopefully, hopefully it'll play.
1: I'd been thinking about sound design and film somehow it can make you feel uncomfortable by hiding some things in there that subconsciously could make you feel a certain way. Cause it, that, that's what
0: the record was about. I was very much inspired by the films of David Lynch. Not so much what the music was doing, but what sound was doing. There's a radiator, and I feel like I'm going crazy. Why is
1: that? because oh, that humming sound in the room is super loud. It miraculously could make you feel incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not all meant to just repulse you, but to
2: be able to emotionally set the, set the stage for what I was trying to get across.
0: Wow, is that from the Rick Rubin interview?
2: I no? I think so. Okay, I think so, but yeah. So he was talking in particular about about head with this, and mm-hmm. and that's something that that really uh, got my attention both times that I've seen this movie. Now is that the sound is oppressive and it's always what? there from the very start of the movie till the very end there is always a, a sound whether it is the hum of the radiator in his room or it's the sound of the industrial world outside or it's the sound of the the suckling dogs like there is always sounds happening 100% of the time and it's it's not until the last moment when it just like cuts out and there's like 3 or 4 seconds of silence before the credit rolls that it's like oh my god there is there's no sound now because for an hour and 20 30 minutes you are doing nothing but hearing sound and it is so incredibly unsettling that it is just this constant background noise that is just always there
1: okay i just had a really weird thought and theory about the woman in the radiator after listening to that (laughs) clip can we can i spitball this really weird please okay so when he said like the sound of the radiator humming and like going crazy that kind of like kicked something into my head of what if her singing is him trying to visualize the humming of the radiator as something different than what he's hearing all the time. And it is him imagining. And then on top of that, this is where it gets kind of fucking gross. I'm really sorry about what I'm about to say. He's hanging his socks over the radiator. And sometimes guys jerk off using
0: socks. What if it's... What if it's... (laughs) Wow. I... I... this is is officially fact holy shit
1: and he kind of hates women so what if he's imagining her getting pelted by his sperm yeah i know that's fucking crazy but you know what
0: why not that's That's really and then she's like in heaven (laughs)
1: yeah and it's like he's imagining this woman and he's like harassing her but she's still singing so it's like this weird feminine ideal you this is probably such nonsense but i had to share my thoughts so (laughs) there's my fan there's my fan theory for the lady behind the radiator and the sperm that she's dodging it's it's the
0: cum dripping off of his socks wow it's too good. It's too hard real. Hard
1: hitting analysis. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> wow, there's
0: I mean, more <laughs> there. That's a lot. That's pretty amazing.
2: I mean, I will say that I think I definitely think you're onto something with like the radiator because there's no there's no entertainment in this world, right? And so yeah. when he like leans off the bed, and he's staring at the radiator. This time when I was watching it, I was like, oh, it's almost like he's watching TV. Like there's yeah. nothing to do for fun in this place, so we're just gonna stare at the radiator and think that it is like. Uh, staring at the tv and watching a movie or something. So i i can sort of see, i could see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, very like, up way. Even if
1: it's not like the calm dripping off his socks, there is something to him like looking for sex though. I mean like he's right. he's having he there is something there besides me kind of joking a little bit to like a desire that he's having. He is like I wish I could just be a man again and be with a woman is kind of how i like very reductive way of looking at it, but mm. i think there's something like that here. And I think, you know, there is the very sexy woman, but I also think there is, like, that projection of the woman behind the radiator as part of that. Um,
0: Yeah. And I I see it as feminist that she's dodging his sperm, to be totally honest. (laughs) Like, like, no. And then
1: stepping on it, like, fuck you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Crunching. (laughs) Crunching. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. I'm going to have to do that around town now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) It's definitely what it is. I believe that's, it. Yeah, that's the
1: theory now you know what I bet you David Lynch would be into that too I'd be like so <laughs> is that his calm and he'd be like actually you know what now it is
2: <laughs> it is now
1: <laughs> it's Like I never thought about it no one's ever thought about that that deeply so sure <laughs> wow. no there's yeah. I, I, people have analyzed the shit out of this movie there's no way
0: <laughs> I think you should write an essay about this I think I would read it okay
1: same. No. dread central. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. This is why this is what is happening. <laughs> Actually. All right. Let me just think about it. Oh, I, got some, I got some ideas percolating in the old nugget. Oh, yeah.
0: um, in terms of just backtracking Trent a little bit, because he's, yes. like, he's my fave of all time. Mine too. Yes. Truly incredible. I, that Rick Rubin interview that he did, he talks about working with Lynch and how Lynch would sort of draw on paper. And be like, can you make it kind of sound like that? And he would like draw something. And he was like, it was like the most amazing creative experience ever, which I thought was really oh. interesting. A way to communicate. Wait, what did he work? What did Lynch work with? Uh, I think it was Lost Highway that they Yeah, so
2: they, they did Lost Highway together. And then um, okay. Lynch also directed the music video for um, K- Came Back Haunted. Which okay. is just like strobe lights and weird imagery from Eraserhead, in my opinion, just like yeah. there.
0: Cool.
2: But like right. yeah. Yeah. And they're fans that. of each other. Oh, Lost Highway doesn't, doesn't surprise me. I cannot wait to get to one, that one. That's
1: the one I, I need to I need. There are a few of his, like it's like Lost Highway and Inland Empire. I need to see
0: them. I love Lost Highway. Highly recommend. Bill Pullman. I can't please. wait to
2: get to it. We're getting to there soon. We have to get yes. through um, Fire Walk with me and uh the the one that I think I always think is like a uh,
1: wild a Art. non-lynch
2: movie. Yes. The, the Nicolas Heart. Cage
1: one. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. And then we will we will be there and I cannot wait to get to Lost Highway. I'm very excited to watch that.
0: I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's another one of those like, whoa, what is happening, man? But like you feel it.
2: Yeah. I oh, can't wait to hear about wait.
1: Twin Peaks Firewalk with me because that's my favorite lynch is
0: Firewalk really with okay. All right. I got to find Twin Peaks then this is my sign and then get to Fire I mean, like
1: also yeah i mean you can finish twin peaks but i also feel like if you just like read what happens at the end of twin peaks and you watch firewalk with me it's not you're not losing a lot because it's like all happening before and it's like from her perspective of what happened before she died so okay. it's like okay. not just the girl like the debt the dead girl the pretty dead girl he flips it and it tells like a really tragic like story about her and I think it's handled incredibly well it's very hard to watch but I think it's done really well too so
0: oh yeah That's I think
1: Lynch gets a lot of shit about female characters when I think he actually creates really interesting female characters mm-hmm. very memorable I think yeah they're just weird but that why not I mean yeah women are weird
0: they're weird they're amazing looking <laughs> they're all yeah beautiful. they are
1: in the weirdest outfits of all time yeah. but they look great yeah I love that for them <laughs>
0: Yeah, I love that for them. Too. Terry, is there
1: anything you wanted to hit on before we
2: wrap up? Well, I did want to go back to when we were talking about your film, Anna, and you're talking about designing your mm. creature. Did you pull from from the the mutant baby from this when oh, you were thinking sure. about designing? Fuck for yeah.
0: sure, it was definitely for stage one appendage. It was in the lookbook, even for Hell the Yeah, you know when we were like bouncing ideas back and forth, I was like, dude, the icon- the most iconic baby. We cannot the most iconic baby. <laughs> <laughs> But I think in the future, it comes across a little bit more because, um, you know, she turns into a worm at one point. That yeah, little that's
2: true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she's like, ooh. <laughs> 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 ooh. <Yep. laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's cute though. God we damn it. Like- I forgot. Even in Eraserhead, they have the tree come in. They roll in the weird tree. And that's also in Twin Peaks. Sorry, I just I forget really? about a lot of the weird surrealist imagery in Racerhead also like translates kind of over to Twin Peaks and well, a lot you of
0: socks and yeah. Twin Peaks sock imagery. <laughs> I feel like your whole thesis about the socks on the radiator. Yep. Circle. <laughs>
1: <do> a re- <laughs> now do Watch and be like the radiators of Twin Peaks and of David Lynch, and just write about sexual imagery and radiators and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I bet you I could find, if I really dig hard enough, I went to grad school. I know how to pull a crazy weird academic thesis out of my ass. <laughs> That's
2: amazing. What oh I do God. like about this movie, though, also, is that I do feel as if this, like, if you were to, look, I, and I'm curious if I'm going to feel this way when I've gone through his entire filmography. But, like, I do know that at one point in Twin Peaks Return, there is, like, a, a black and white kind of apocalyptic element
1: yeah yeah so uh how do i explain any of this i don't think
2: i don't think you can but i am curious if this is like the first his first movie but also like because it's very post-apocalyptic and i i do wonder if like in his filmography this is like where everything is heading towards in terms of like life in general but also in his in his movies because there's a lot of themes like i said that 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 i i feel like just stated here that he has since explored and so i am curious if this is sort of like the end state for him because we have like the big picture of the bomb we have the city that looks like it's dead it it, I'm, i'm i don't even know what people are doing working because like there doesn't seem to be anything other than the eraser factory that is like a sustainable job and it just it gives me it gives me like some of the movies that w- we've seen in the '80s because we talked about some um, nuclear movies here for the podcast that were done in the '80s, like Threads and When the Wind Blows. And this reminds me a little bit of like life after that kind of traumatic event. And so I am I I don't know it, I'm just spitballing, but I do feel like there is something here that like he is continuing to explore, and I'm wondering if. In True Lynch Forum, it's like gonna be a big circle or something. That's actually
1: really interesting because he hasn't made a movie since I think 2006. Wow, and then Empire was his last feature.
0: Damn. I hope he comes back. I would love to see him remake Oppenheimer in this theme.
1: Oh, oh yeah. my god. So I so imagine. It's really it's interesting too because I because Lynch grew up in Montana. He oh. grew up in like kind of middle of nowhere. And so A lot of his work is supposedly inspired just by also, like, weird things he saw and, like, life in that landscape, too. Mm. And I see a lot of that, like, that desert landscape, like, in Mm. this. It's also in parts of Twin Peaks, like, in The Return, not in the original ones that are obviously in the Pacific Northwest. But I think he plays a lot with that imagery because I think he talks a lot about domestic rot. Mm. And I think a lot of his work reflects that. And I think this is a film that takes it very literally. Like he starts very literal in terms of what rot looks like, which again, sounds funny saying literal with a movie like this where nothing is literal. (laughs) But like, if you think about it in terms of like domestic rot and what happens when you become part of like the domestic sphere and what that could look like. And then that kind of sort of translates into twin peaks, the return. But I think that I do like the idea of like, Post-apocalyptic reading, and I also think it has a lot to do with how he feels about domesticity and like what ha- what happens behind closed doors to people.
0: Mm-hmm. Domestic rot—that is quite a term. It is. I love yeah. that.
1: I know. I, yeah, I, I, no, love- I want to make a movie about such a such a term.
0: Right. It could be titled that. You know, mm. the name of the movie.
1: Neat wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a mo- i just feel like this is a movie that always lends itself to good discussion there's like no way to not talk about this and just be yeah. like this is the weirdest thing i've ever seen let me say the weirdest things i've ever said because i feel like that's the only way to talk about a movie like this you know what i mean yeah i, I so i, I appreciate I, being, able being able to have this conversation with y'all
0: i hope there's more movies like this that come out you know with like you know we need more weird shit we do yes. you know, you we like really do in freaking you know mold of what's going on and i guess like streamers are doing that like i don't know anyone who would have let me make appendage i guess outside of that um but you know like that uh, you don't get a david lynch without taking risks you know
2: and exactly this is
1: something that always bothers me like in seeing like this whole production and like side of things it's like people are very and i i do understand it's a business but it's so concerned about what's going to sell and obviously Mm -hmm. like you know this obviously like was working with a place like Hulu like it is cool that they are giving you that chance I am really glad that places like Hulu are like Mm -hmm. yeah okay cool make this weird thing yeah but like so many other places are so scared to take risks and trust audiences to like like things I think there's a fear that people aren't going to understand and like I'm not trusting people to understand things yeah that I'm hoping is starting to disappear because it kind of bums me out when I feel like a lot of movies don't treat their audience like they're intelligent.
0: Totally, I'm also like, what's so wrong with like not understanding everything all the time? Exactly. Yes, that's an. Oh, that's
1: another really good point. Like,
0: yeah, it's like let us feel stuff, like. But I guess, like, especially in American cinema, there's this culture of, like, we have to understand A to B to C, super, super clear. Yeah. If you don't, then, like, you feel stupid. And if you don't understand it and you're stupid, then you retaliate.
1: You know, like. Yeah. yeah. No, that's so yeah. true, or then,
2: or then we have uh, articles on websites that are like, what does the ending of X mean? And it's like, it's right there. <laughs> totally.
0: Totally. I feel like there should be a wave of, like, I don't know, not understanding movies, like the freak wave. You know, we need a freak yes.
1: wave. Oh, freak wave forever. Like, have you seen The Outwaters, Anna?
0: No. So about- um
1: friend of the show, Robbie Banfitch, made this found footage movie called The Outwaters that is, like, very much, I think, part of the freak wave of, like, you kind of have a vague idea of what's happening, but it doesn't really make any sense. And kind of the, the point of it is to be, like, not sure what's going on. It's basically, like, what happens at the end of a found footage movie. Like, oh, wow. they disappear... So what happens when they disappear? And it's like super fucked up and super wild. And I think that's kind of cosmic. like cosmic horror y wildness. And it's like more movies like that. And that's on Screenbox, which Screen is Box. Bloody Disgusting's streaming service.
0: And what was it called? Just so I- The The Outwaters. The Outwaters. Oh, yep. Yeah. Whoa. And
1: like Skinnamarink. I mean,
0: you've probably you've heard of Skinnamarink, yeah. right? I, yeah, I saw it in the theater that had a couple jump scares that really got me there it's, it's, oh yeah it's about sound right it's like so yes yeah
1: like yeah I, it's, it's feel however you feel about skin and as a movie but like you have to like it that and the outwaters for this year i've really started i think like moving people towards thinking about like what you're saying freak wave uh-huh. and it's very different from david lynch but obviously inspired at the same time mm. and i think yeah. like we have had both of these guys on the show so like it's not like we are friendly with Robbie and Kyle but I'm not just saying this because they're my friends I do think like that is a really and it's they're both queer which is even cooler because I love that it's like I think this kind of stuff should be like is inherently queer even though David Lynch is straight like there's a queerness to a lot of this
0: 100% 100% totally agree more weird shit please yeah yes. more weird shit. More queer horror like bring it all on we need more of it
2: we do absolutely mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: um on that note do we want to wrap this up and give it a rating out of five
2: sounds good
1: all I right we fit everything yeah. i wanted to
2: talk about cool
1: terry how many yes. sperm <laughs> babies out of five do you give this movie also side note that they nicknamed the sperm baby spike on set so how many uh, sperm babies aka spikes out of five do you give (laughs) razorhead
2: well there's no sidestepping this one i uh i this is this is a even here's the thing like this isn't a movie that i'm gonna gravitate to it's not one that i'm just gonna be like oh it's a a lazy saturday (laughs) i'm just gonna put razorhead on and and watch this It's not. So I I have a hard time dealing with that because like, it's not something I'm going to keep going to. However, both times that I've watched this, this movie has made me gross face, like resting gross face, sick to my stomach, just intense, uncomfortable experience that is just like out of my my reach. Like I, I want to understand what is happening and some things I do like some of the things we've talked about now, it's like, okay, that makes perfect sense. But I love how inscrutable it is. I love how it does not meet you on your terms. It's like, here's this movie, experience it. I'm not going to answer any questions about it. I love that. And I think that considering particularly, this is just for his debut feature film. It's so assured. It's It's so like,
1: not
2: fair. It's so like, this is, this is the intent of the filmmaker and he is able to, do it without any compromise, and I I think that this movie is very influential, not only with other films and and movies in general, but also with music and sound. I mean, we talked about Trent Reznor, so I can't I can't give this anything less than five sperm babies, honestly. What about you, Mary Beth? <laughs>
1: yeah, I was looking at Letterbox and I gave it a four initially, but I think on my re- on this rewatch, I have to go to a five because I think when I first watched it, it's like. The experience of it all and you're like I really like what's happening but what and then you rewatch it and and it's like oh my god it's still what but like we talked about like the, the radiator woman and how this is about like parenting and the inherently awful aspects of dating and I think it's just like such a relatable so, like, film in the most unrelatable way possible, which is something I think only David Lynch can accomplish. Like, taking a domestic drama and making it a post apocalyptic hellscape with a mutant baby and a big cheek woman living behind your radiator and a tree oozing liquid out of it. And then you lose your head and they put your head back on you. You know, like. As you know. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like. And I just want to quickly shout out Jack Nance Who is our eraser head Jack Nance wow. is in David Lynch's um, Jack Nance has passed away relatively recently But he was in Twin Peaks as Pete Martell And he says my favorite line of all time From Twin Peaks uh, There was a fish in the percolator Where they put a fish in the coffee maker uh, And there was no explanation as to why But that's because it's David Lynch And I just want to shout out uh, Jack Nance for just being that guy So uh, Anna, you have the final word how oh. many sperm babies out
0: of five do you give Grace Rand? Right Y'all, you know I'm predictable. I'm giving her <laughs> five spikes. <laughs> five Hell old yeah.
1: spikes. Hell yeah. She's
0: a singular piece of cinema with an iconic baby in it. And yeah. uh, means so much to so many people. And yet, like you said, it's so <laughs> unrelatably relatable. So <laughs> she's getting five spikes from me. Hell,
2: Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Honor, for joining us to talk about Eraserhead. Where can our listeners find you? Are you on social media? And the floor is yours to talk about whatever you are able to.
0: I'm on the Instagram. Find me there. Um, I think that's all my social media. I'm not on X or any of that stuff. Um, but I would just this was such a blast just to nerd out about movies and Lynch and Eraserhead, and it's like you never get to do that anymore. This is such yeah. a freaking blast. And your theory on the socks. We didn't have Trent Reznor, you know, guest appearance yeah, no. here. I mean, it really couldn't go better.
2: Four quadrants. <laughs> <I'm
1: so glad. laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Four quadrants. Four quadrants. The, four,
1: the four quadrants of any discussion. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thanks for having uh, me. For real, this, this has been delightful. Lot. Seriously. Really, really. um listener you've heard from us but we want to hear from you uh what's your experience with Eraserhead? head my cat is trying to share her feelings about Eraserhead. head uh you can send us an email at scarred at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on social media i'm at mb on twitter and blue sky or on twitter and i'm at mb.mcandrews on blue sky and instagram
2: yeah <laughs> 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 and I, I, I'm at Gaily Dreadful Everywhere
1: Forgot what my Blue Sky handle was Oops um, And of course Don't forget to Keep the conversation Going by chatting With us on Twitter And Blue Sky At Scar Podcast And on Instagram At Scarred
2: for Life Podcast And please don't forget To review, rate, and subscribe And if you want to Help support us We are bringing Patreon back very soon
1: Woo-hoo! Thank you, Derek Parr for artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy.
2: And until next time. Stay creepy. (laughs)